that bass drops in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Don't you worry. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness. Because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Quip and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, Slash nemesis, the guy who eats all the Halloween candy, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello. I thought about doing some voice and being like the turkey man now that mm, we're in November. Just, but to, yeah, <laughs> just to keep it going. <laughs> gobble, gobble. Well, but you know, it didn't, uh, it didn't happen. Uh, happy belated Halloween and happy November to, to you and everyone. Yeah. And uh, I think the, uh, the Spice Man is well and truly put away for the year. Is that I what mean, you're saying? Uh, it's still spice season, but you know, you know. All right. Well, just so like we, we can all not let our guard down. That's the important <laughs> part. Uh, we have an amazing show for you this week. We got so much to talk about. I'm going to be talking about Death Stranding. We got massive BlizzCon news. We got it, it's just wall to wall insanity this week, and we have an awesome guest to join us for all of that. Fresh from BlizzCon herself, you know the DLC always stands. For your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm so excited because DLC stands for Delightful Live Streaming Content. Because from Twitch and her Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Haley Nick, we have the one and the only Haley Nick. Hi, Haley. Oh my gosh, what an intro. I'm honored. I feel like so I feel so important right now. <laughs> you are. You are extremely important. Thank and we're you. <laughs> so glad to have you. I'm so uh I'm so grateful that you you, know, you just came back from blizzcon today and you're hopping on the show with us tonight so i I know you're probably exhausted but i'm grateful that you're uh, carving out some time for us thank you no i'm happy to be here and quite literally i I think our flight landed like four hours ago so we got home we got the baby down and now i'm like boom let's let's go everything's fresh in my mind so i'm ready Christian Haley is officially a better parent than we are. That's no, 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 Haley. <laughs> oh no, 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 you, no, no, no. <laughs> you sleep when the baby sleeps. I know you're kind of out of baby and into toddlerhood, but like sleep, Haley. Get get off the show. Get no, out of here. No, you see, here's the thing: is I and I'm sure you obviously understand this, having a child yourself, is that the the whole sleep when the baby thing, like baby sleeps thing, that's a myth. No one does that. It's like, oh, you're going to sleep when the baby sleeps, so that means the dishes are going to be there forever. Sorry, get used to flies. It's like, (laughs) no, I can't do it. The real real saying should be uh, sleep when the never. (laughs) Yeah, sleep when they're in college. And maybe not even Sleep when the baby's in college. (laughs) That is well done. Pretty much. Awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, like I said, uh, you were at BlizzCon. We got lots of BlizzCon news to get to. Uh, I was watching your live stream for BlizzCon, which is awesome. So let's, let's dive into all of that and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com 
or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com, where cool folks hang out and post stories, talk about the show. We welcome you to join them. Uh, that's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. But Haley, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. There's lots of juicy stuff coming out of BlizzCon and, and other things as well. So I'm curious... What is your story of the week? Oh, man. I was I was reading through all of them. I'm going to have to go with Diablo 4. Yeah, that's a big one. I mean, the much-rumored, uh, much-anticipated announcement. Much leaked. But basically, <laughs> all the leaks from, from before BlizzCon were absolutely accurate, which is, I guess, reassuring, but also, you know, leaks. Returning, leaks. mildly, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's what kicked off the BlizzCon opening ceremony this year. Uh, you know, there were rumors that it was supposed to close the show last year. It didn't, but it opened the show this year and Diablo four was playable there. Uh, we saw actual gameplay. We got lots of tidbits about what the game is going to be like. It is going to be an always on open world version of Diablo still top down, still isometric, really amazing engine. It looks beautiful the, graphically to me. Uh, but you were there. I, this is one of the first. The birth of my son and this one are the only two BlizzCons I've missed. So uh, I'm. I did have a, a pang in my heart of not being there. But Haley, you were there. I was there. So what was What was it like? What was uh, What was the 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 buzz on Diablo Four? And did you get hands on? So yes, I did. Um, I want to preface this by saying that I am a huge Diablo fangirl. In fact, it was the first real game that I ever played as a child growing up. And it was, um, I tell the story all the time, but it's kind of how I bonded with my dad. You know, I'd be like the seven-year-old little girl playing, killing monsters with him while we're, you know, like getting, killing Diablo together. And it terrified me to some degree, but it was also really fun. And so uh, this game, the whole franchise has a really special place in my heart. And so, um, yes, I did get some hands-on time with it. Um, Diablo 2 essentially was, was like the game, I think, for the franchise. And, this has so much um, Diablo 2 vibes to it, I, I would say, mm-hmm. as far as the the mechanics of the game, the way that it looks, the overall feel of it. Um, it, it was very rewarding and enjoyable to play. So yes, I did get to play for uh, about half an hour and I checked out the Barbarian and the Sorceress. I did not get a chance to play the Druid, which was disappointing because mm-hmm. I mean, there were, the line was astronomical the entire convention. Um, and it was, it was tough because we actually didn't get there until Saturday. So I missed opening ceremonies and I'm sitting there on Twitter and I just see everybody freaking out on my timeline about Diablo four. And I I'm just sitting there with just the most sincere and genuine fear of missing out that I've ever felt in my life. Like, Oh, my game was just announced and I'm not there. So I'm like, Oh God, our flight needs to hurry up. Um, but it was fantastic. And I'm, I'm just the main thing that I'm sad about is I know that Somebody asked, when's it coming out? And the devs who were uh, on deck said, it's not soon and it's not Blizzard soon. So that tells me it's yeah. uh, 2022. Blizzard soon, it, by the way, for people that aren't familiar with the history of that company, Blizzard soon is not soon. At all. Uh, when Blizzard <laughs> said soon, that's like a year. <laughs> and and so when they're not even saying it's it's not even that soon. Uh, yeah, I think we're, we're, we're looking at what, like 2021, 2022 kind of. Yeah, deal? I would love Probably. for it to be 2021. I mean, I, I say it's definitely not going to be 2020, even though that sounds so far away. But wow, we're already in November. It's right around the corner. Um, yeah. I would be excited for 2021. But I with this game, with Diablo, I have learned not to get my hopes up. And so I'm just going to say, you know what? When it comes, it comes and I'll be happy. 
So you didn't get a chance to see the opening ceremonies. I hope that you got a chance to go back and watch that cinematic. Oh that my they God, showed. yes, of course. It was the, spur- the first thing I did when I went back was watch it. And it's like, what, nine minutes? That's that's a pretty oh. decent sized cinematic for Blizzard. And they just need to hurry up and make a movie. Like, let's be honest, the, the way that they do their cinematics, it's it's ridiculous that they haven't yet. Um, Nobody, Nobody's better. Nobody is nobody, better. Nobody's uh, better. That, that, that Diablo cinematic was... A short film, first yep. of all. I mean, it, it had a beginning, middle, and end. It had a crescendo. It was visually jaw-dropping. It Everybody knew what it was, and, and they string it out and string it out and string it out, and, and you're just along for that crazy ride. I mean, I felt emotion. I felt awe. The, the look of the demon uh, forming a cape out of strands of – what even – what? I know. Uh, I know craziness i loved it i I was i watched it over and over again i was i was elated at the way that uh that they visually put the whole thing together but also just to know that they i feel like a lot of diablo fans myself included have i think to some degree felt like they haven't necessarily been listened to and they've made it very clear what they want um Mm. and a lot of people have been wanting diablo 2 remastered and then last year we're like is it diablo 2 remastered it's a mobile game. And right. I think a lot of fans felt very um, disheartened, if you will, at that. So I think this was redemption for the Diablo crew, and I'm excited. It's interesting. I mean, a lot of the the hubbub leading up to the show was that Diablo 2 Remastered would be another announcement. Mm-hmm. And we did not get that. Nope. Uh, which I'm surprised a little bit by. Um so you you know, as a as a big Diablo fan and seeing what we see, is there anything that you're hoping for? Is there anything you would like them to do differently? Or is, is there something you're hoping will be announced later that will, you know, be more in line with what you want? How does this line up with your expectations and your hopes for what Diablo 4 will be? So, I mean, the, the thing that I love the most about, I keep comparing it to Diablo 2 because Diablo 3 just didn't meet anything that I was hoping for um, in, in many ways. But what I loved so much about Diablo 2 was that it really felt like a grind. It really felt like you had to work for what you were finding. And every time you found a unique item, it was like the most incredible thing in the world. And, and there's there's certain nostalgia, I think, that's attached to that. Um, but I, I just want to feel like I'm, I'm really working for something that matters in this game. And, and that the items that I'm getting and the loot that I'm getting aren't just necessarily for nothing or that... Um, that it's something that I, I really, really want and is really going to affect the way that the game plays. Um, PvP, I know that they said that they're, they're promising PvP this one. They, they very clearly made that uh, a point to mention at, at, uh, at the opening ceremonies, which is exciting because they never made that a thing in Diablo 3. Um, right. and, and that was one of the most fun things about, uh, about Diablo 2. So I'm hoping that they make a really um, enjoyable and just overall well-produced version of PvP for Diablo 4. Yeah, so Christian, uh, the big stuff we know, as Haley mentioned, PvP is coming back. Even though it was promised for three, they never materialized on that. Uh, we have these big social areas. It's going to, I think, intend to feel more like something like a Destiny social area where you can go and hang out with large groups of people. Uh, the, the game will be always on, always connected to a larger world, even though all the dungeons will be instanced to your group. But uh, I think the feeling of, of being in a larger group, they, they actually showed a snippet of uh, a, a big monster being taken down by like nine players. Yep. So I don't know what that's about. Yep. That so really I, I actually got to, to play that for a hot minute. Um, and mm. it was very interesting because at the um, 
the area where you can can test out the demo station, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's, you know, 500 computers. And it gives you the opportunity right when you join in to hit O and you can team up with the players who are local or on your friends list. Um, and whether you do or not, there gets to a point in the demo where you do get to that boss and everybody immediately teleports to it. And I was super confused about that at first. I'm like, wait a minute, who are all, who are all these people? But um, it was it was a fight and I definitely died, uh, which I am not proud of, but uh, I was not alone. And overall, it was it was just like, okay, yeah, there were easily easily nine people who were who were there and we were all taking down the same boss. There was lots of quality loot that dropped from it. I do think, and I hope this is the case, but I think that they upped the loot percentage on this pretty hefty, like pretty heavily, because mm. literally the second I spawned in, like before I even got to town, it, there was like an SOJ that dropped. I'm sitting there like, right. oh, really? You're going to give me a, gonna give me a stone of Jordan before I've even gone to town yet? But uh, I do like the fact that there's going to be some of the classic loot that's been kept in Diablo and uh, the, the nostalgia will still be there for people like me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we can't really draw many conclusions from this very early, you know, demo on, on of course. That, that kind of balancing. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see that. It's interesting to see there are mounts in the game now. They say that everything is going to be like Diablo 3's adventure mode right from the get-go where you can kind of tackle any of the stuff in the game in any order. If you want to go through the story linearly, you can, or mm-hmm. you can just jump around and hang out with your friends wherever you want. Um, they talk about freedom being a big part of it. Uh, it looks pretty crazy. Christian, what did you, first of all, what did you think of this, this cinematic? Uh, just <laughs> one of the, I think one of the all time great cinematics in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to talk about anything blizzard without talking about how they continue to mishandle um, th- themselves as a company from a PR perspective. I know that this cinematic wasn't made as a reaction to any of that. Um, but, and, and I guess this isn't necessarily the story right now, but I think all of this blizzard stuff, blizzcon kind of rolls together. Um, it was a beautiful cinematic, uh, uh, but I, I still feel like the, the company as a whole, or at least the head, the tops of the company don't understand why people are really upset. And they did very little in my opinion to appease any of that in terms of the opening ceremony apology or you know, th- during that, it was what you see when you're here and what I saw when I was there. I didn't leave being like, <laughs> oh, they fixed it. Right. Um, it was it, it was um, not addressed. Security was as tight and <clears throat> weird as last year, but maybe even a little weirder um, with, you know, screens blocking angles of view from outside and stuff like that. So it, it was a very beautiful cinematic uh, for Diablo 4. Um it's also well, kind of. I, I don't know if it's like talk, talk about, about the stuff that we can we can sidetrack. We can come back to Diablo four if, if that's well talking about Diablo two. I think it will kind of maybe lead into. I don't know how much you want to talk about like what Haley and I played versus now versus later. Like that's all the weird part about these stories also because I think it kind of all interconnects. Yeah, um, and it works. Well, well, we have to plenty of other things to talk about in uh, in the playlist. So you know, we can talk about what you played. Uh, I, we can even transition to talking about you know f- uh, the sort of cloud that hung over this entire BlizzCon. Um, and we can get back to Diablo. I I think that it is interesting that the very first thing that happened was Jalen Brack made an apology. Now that apology was general and broad and wasn't specific about, uh, you know, anything 
that they have done. It was more about how they felt like they weren't listening, listening and that their response was, was delayed and then um, too quick to, to make judgment and too long to, to, uh, to actually make a, make a public pronouncement about anything. Um, so it wasn't really about, Hey, we did the wrong thing here as, as far as the ban, as far as the, the, silencing of the the player and the casters and it didn't address any of that it didn't address those punishments it didn't reduce any of them their stance is the same although they have reduced them since the original ban um but it was more of like a hey we understand and we want to uh, encourage uh i'll just read it uh, in case people didn't hear it a quote from jalen brack uh, we moved too quickly in our decision-making, and then to make matters worse, we were too slow to talk with all of you. When I think about what I'm most unhappy about, there's really two things. The first one is that we didn't live up to the high standards that we set for ourselves, and the second is that we failed in our purpose. And for that, I am sorry, and I accept accountability. Um, so, Christian, your your position is that that's not good enough. It's not it's not a great apology. It it doesn't show, I think, remorse. It doesn't show acceptance for what they did. It doesn't talk about what they did. It doesn't acknowledge why people are upset. To me, it comes from a place of. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I think it comes from a, a real place of ignorance over the whole problem and, and why people are upset and feel let down. And this idea of like it, it to me, it feels like the kind of apology like I'm sorry if you're upset. <laughs> well, I think, like, I mean, th- there was also some, some additional interviews that Brack gave, uh, specifically to PC Gamer, which is a really interesting one. I encourage people to read all of it. Um, and basically, it seems like Brack continues to believe that they made the right decision. Um, yeah. He's trying to, um, trying to justify that in the sense that they, his position is that they would do this to anybody in any in any way that they made an official, I mean, it would seem to me what they were saying is we don't want a situation where the post match interview is about anything other than the match. And that is on in one hand kind of understandable, but I think I have said before on the show, and I still believe that you have to make an assessment of what your ideals are. I, you cannot separate the message from the act of making the message, they will always be conflated. And you as a company have to understand that and realize that if you are stepping up against the act of making the message, you are also stepping up against the message. And I don't think that they seem to care about that. Haley, I'm very curious what what your position on all of this is and what your thoughts about the apology at the beginning of BlizzCon was. So I have a lot of thoughts. And um, good. And, and first of all, I want to say I completely agree that um, not only that what they did was wrong, but their excuses for what they did are um, their safe face. And I don't think they're genuine um, to say that, oh, we, the only reason we did this is because we only want the content and post game match to be about the game and the experience. Um, I just wonder if there had been a pro China protester instead of a pro Hong Kong protester that went up there and, um, you know, said the opposite. Would Blizzard have done the same exact thing? Not only, you know, right. banned both casters, but banned him for a year and taken all his prize money. Now, obviously, they they came back a little bit later, said we were too harsh, pulled uh, that that ban down to six months and gave back the prize money. Um, but is that enough? Um, and, and, you know, I think 
that from my perspective, right? Cause I, I thought long and hard about this. I'm like, well, should I even go to BlizzCon? Am I shooting myself in the foot by doing that, by, by showing support to this company um, that is so very clearly in the wrong? And I think there's more to consider, right? Because it's not just, um, Blizzard isn't just one person, right? Blizzard isn't just, just the president. It's, it's the thousands and thousands of employees that make these games possible. And, you know, personally for me, I've had a really great relationship with the Overwatch team for years now. Um, I was lucky enough to be one of uh, the two broadcasters that they chose to premiere the beta of the game live on Twitch. Um, I want to say it was back in 2015. And, um, and I, that was easily the peak of my career. I've, I've had like 12,000 viewers and it was just absolutely mind boggling. And since then, um, they've, they've kind of become like family. And so when I thought about it, I'm like, well, should I, should I not go? I thought, well, by not going, sure, I'm sticking it to the man, but in reality, I'm screwing over the people that I already promised that I would go. The team that is, has already paid for my plane tickets. That's booked a hotel for us to stay at. And that's already booked off a time for me to stream at their, at their convention. And so is it really doing anything to say, F you, Blizzard, I, I, I don't agree with what you're doing, so I'm not going to go to your convention. When the people who are really hit the hardest are those that have, have been on, uh, not just in support of me, but have become friends to me over the years. Um, so I think that it's a multifaceted issue in a lot of ways. I, I, obviously, what they did was wrong. Um, censorship as a whole is wrong. And there's no question that what they did had to do with the fact that um, so much of their company is, is in um, is shared with the, with their Chinese investors. So it's, it's really tough. Um, and especially because the environment that we're in right now is so very heavily influenced by cancel culture where, um, an apology very regularly is just not enough, no matter how sincere it is. Obviously I personally don't think that this apology was sincere. The BlizzCon one, the first one, I don't think any of them were sincere. Um, they, like I said, it was an attempt to save face. But I also think we need to consider, okay, where do we draw the line by saying, well, they clearly are in the wrong, but I mean, do we just say, F you Blizzard, remember playing your games again, bye? Or like, how, how do you handle it? Everybody else can can handle it. And I will say that the protests that were at BlizzCon um, were very real. Lots of people walking around and um May free Hong Kong shirts and dresses Winnie the Pooh and holding signs. And they were very, very present, which I'm very uh, happy to know. So I see, you know what I mean? I see both sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Christian, wh- wh- what do you think about this idea that, um, that, you know, there's a lot of people that make these games and a lot of them have a lot of different opinions. And um, you went to BlizzCon, you didn't not go, right? So how do you reconcile all that? Yeah, it's difficult. Like I, I went, uh, a good friend invited me um, and I, I went as much to to see them and to hang out with them as anything. But I did, I wrestled with it. And I, you know, I have a long text exchange with them debating whether or not um, I could still go or I felt right going. <clears throat> and then afterwards, whether or not how to talk about it on this show. Um and I, I do think that, uh, you know, yes, thousands of people make these games and most of the, or I don't know how many, not all of them feel the same way as their president likely feels and, and don't, they don't hold those views. But I, I also don't know if this is the thing that, you know, the hill that uh, I, or I should suggest any gamer 
or person should die on, so to speak. But yes, I do think that at some point, and I'm not telling anyone how to feel or what they should do, but you do make those hard decisions and you do say sorry to your friends and to the people who make those games who don't share those same views because it's only through, in my opinion, painful choices and hard times that true change is made. And so you have to be willing to put that on the line and then that will affect those people and those people will then affect change within their company and it and it will affect change all the way up. It has to be the hope and belief in a democratic and arguably free society. And so I can't answer the question for anyone else on how they should, you know, feel about this. But for me, and and I don't know what the, it's like the Supreme Court opinion on pornography. I'll know it when I see it. I'm not sure what apology or what type of stance a company would need to take for me to feel differently. But as is right now, I cannot, in good faith, spend time or money on their games. Um, it, it doesn't you feel did. <laughs> you did this weekend, <laughs> right? You Correct. spent both time and money on their games. You spent, you, you spent money to get there and you spent time playing them. I did go to BlizzCon. I meant when they come out, hmm. um, or any of, or any of them in the interim, you know, whatever else may come, um, between now and then. And it, yes, it was a, a very difficult decision for, for what I should do, whether going or not. And I'm not sure I made the right one. Um, I, I don't feel good about having gone. I think it was interesting to see firsthand. And I was, um, you know, curious to play these games. And it's like this weird, perhaps moral gray area, self justification of like, well, I should play them so I could talk about it on the show. And this show isn't about whatever. But the whole time I was playing the games there, it was heavy on my mind. Like, I mean, I guess it's an, an apology is better than no apology. And I agree with Haley that sometimes even the best apology isn't enough. Um, but it just doesn't feel, in my opinion, it does not feel good. It does not feel right. And, you know, the friends I have at the company and the people, you know, that I care about there and stuff, and it, it is uh, unfortunate. And it, it sucks that I think they are in a position um, that they're in. I can't imagine the pride that went into, like you said, that Diablo four cinematic and wanting to show that off to the world. And, and this is the area, the era of the time in which it's shown. And, you know, all the coverage I've read, whether it's spends as much time on it as we are, but it's still a cloud that hangs over all of this. And that's never anyone's (laughs) intention um, and laboring on this stuff for years, but it's difficult. And, and I'm, I'm not the person, and then I'll put a bow on it here. I'm not the person to, to, sit here and say what other people should do or that my morals are, are the best or the right. I mean, I talked to you, Jeff, maybe a year ago when I was struggling with, um, you know, continued gun violence in our country. And I was just like, I can't, I can't, I don't think I'm going to play any more games with guns. And then it was like the next week I was like, ah, oh, well, I forget what game it was, but it was like such and such came out. I had to play it. Like I, you know, I compromised a prior belief or moral because of games and entertainment. And it's, it's tricky, man. It it's uh it's tricky. Uh, here's maybe my Pollyanna tendencies, but I I looked at that apology to kick off BlizzCon as a signal that we made an impact. We being the people who are upset by the actions they took. 
if, if we hadn't responded the way we had, if, if, if the cries of that's unacceptable weren't heard, weren't loud, weren't clear to Blizzard, that would have never been the way they started BlizzCon. Now, was that a, uh, an, an apology that said, hey, we did the wrong thing here and we shouldn't have shut down this message? No. And I wish that's the perspective that they had. It's clearly not. They still think, it's very clear to me that they still believe that they did the right thing in not allowing these kinds of messages to be part of their official stance. Now, in that aforementioned PC Gamer interview, Brack talks at length about how they do not silence their employees. They do not silence the gamers. They do not silence... uh, Everybody is free to use their Twitter accounts as they please. Everybody is free to make whatever personal statements they want in their personal space. It's not like the NFL or the NBA where players' personal Twitter feeds or whatever are policed by the agency that they work for. Uh, And he says that people are more more than willing, more than able to make whatever political statements they want in their own sphere. He said, it's just when it encroaches on a a moment in the game, a moment post game in their, in their broadcast that they don't find that acceptable and don't want it to be encouraged. They don't want it to be, Hey, how did you do in the game? Oh, it's my turn. You know, it's how a lot of people use their moment at the Academy Awards is, okay, a billion people are watching. I got to say something important. And we can argue about whether that's good or or whether that's bad. It's the position of Brack and Blizzard that they don't want that to be a precedent that they allow, which at face value I can accept. uh, But also later on, he in, in the same interview he says, uh, was NetEase, NetEase, of course, is their Chinese, uh, basically their Chinese um, publisher, because they're not able to publish in China as Blizzard Entertainment. Blizzard is not legally allowed to publish games in China. People should be aware of that. So they have to partner with a local Chinese publisher, and they have done so. That is NetEase. And uh, NetEase is, he says, not a government agency. It's a company. It's a publisher. And then he says, was NetEase in conversation around this issue? They were, certainly, as were the Blizzard Taiwan team, as was the Hearthstone leadership team, as was the esports team, which he seems to want to sort of defray that. But it seems like he's basically confirming, yeah, our Chinese partners were a big part of this decision. He says, all those various constituencies came together And one of the things that we said was that we acted very rapidly and we acted very quickly. And that's certainly the failure of this story is those groups coming together and deciding in a very short amount of time what the right action to take forward was. Sounds to me like that's a confirmation that our Chinese partners wanted this to happen. So we did it very fast. So in that sense, it's like exactly what I was hoping wasn't the case (laughs) in this situation. Uh, Exactly what I was worried was the case. And it makes me disappointed in the company. And it's the reason I canceled my wow account and didn't go to BlizzCon. But I also, like I said, my silver lining about all this is it had an impact. It, it affected the company. It, 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 
that is what protest, that is what speaking out is supposed to do. Is it, does it mean that the world is going to change 180 degrees on a dime? No. But don't, don't, unless you think that Blizzard is at a good place now with how they handled it, shouldn't that pressure continue? I think that pressure will continue. I think that there's no way that pressure does not continue. I don't think there's a moment that they will make a decision in the future where they don't consider this. I think this is something that will stay with them for every decision that they make going forward. Well, I mean, I mean, gamers or potential fans of theirs continuing to not support the work they do until they make a fundamental change in at least how they address the situation. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think that it's so often that you hear of these really um, newsworthy, if you will, stories that happen not just in gaming, but in pop culture and the news and politics where it, people are outraged. And then five seconds later, it's brushed under the rug. And mind, mind you, this didn't happen five seconds ago. This has been a few weeks and people are still pissed. But I, I truly do think that people eventually just say, eh, and then they get over it, which is unfortunate. I wish that people could uh, last a little longer in that sense. I also don't believe that if Diablo 4 comes out and is a massive failure because no one buys it, that Blizzard goes, ah, we really shouldn't have banned that Hearthstone player. No, because it will be 10 years from now before Diablo 4 comes out and exactly. none of the people on the executive team will still be there. I, I, and, and listen, I'm, I respect you and your hardline stance on this. Uh, I, if, if that's the decision you want to make, I certainly am not going to criticize it in any way. Um, but I don't think... I mean, again, these are games I want to play, so maybe I'm a hypocrite, but I feel like the moment to make the the statement was today, or not today, whenever it was, three, four weeks ago when it happened. That's when I canceled my my WoW account, right? That's the statement, is, hey, it's like a we all have young children. <laughs> you don't say... Uh, you don't wake up in the morning and go, hey, I'm taking away your toys because uh, last night you were bad at dinner. Kids like, what? I don't No, well, You I'm... cancel your WoW account and then they continue to be crappy. So you don't give them a new WoW account. I don't I don't think they were they're continuing to be crappy in this situation. I think they're they're saying, hey, our reasoning, we still believe in our reasoning for doing this. And the next time they they censor someone for speaking out about something that I believe in and I think their company should believe in, I will act accordingly then. But I think in this situation, the, the intended result was what happened was, hey, oh, my God, we heard you and we are forced to acknowledge you. We are forced to say we didn't act in the right way here. We understand you're upset. That's the best possible outcome. There is no universe in which they were going to be like, hey, China, we're not we're pulling out of China. You know, we, we want to support Hong Kong here in every sense. It's I think I think this is a victory. And I'm interpreting it as such. And again, maybe this is me being Pollyanna, but I think this is a victory. This is, hey, wake up, company. We we're paying attention, and yeah, we, we will and we will react when you do things that we don't like. They said we heard you. We still think we were right, though. So, no, go eat th- it. We still think that our fundamental action is correct, in that we do not want people saying these kinds of things, and. I, I can kind of – I can buy that. I'm going to take that at face value. Fool me once, you know, fool me twice, right? If, if there's a second go-round here and – Well, there's been several of them banning people holding signs of 
uh, and I don't know where it came from. You know, there's like a Dallas news story about it. I'm not sure if they say like exactly if it was Blither that asked the coach to take down their tweet that expressed, uh, you know, free Hong Kong sympathies or not. But they, there's been several examples of this specific example. Right. Fair enough. I mean, I, I listen, I reacted in the moment and I, I, I believe my voice was heard. Uh, and maybe I'm letting them off too easy here, but I heard, I, I watched Brack step up to that mic and express a feeling that a, an acknowledgement of the fan base. And that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted him to say, Hey, we understand we didn't do this right. And I think that it's a legitimate position to take to say, we don't want our airwaves to be bogged down by people making these kinds of statements. I have already said, I don't think you can separate the content of the statement with the act of saying it. So because you're banning a statement that your company should support you, it's a very bad look and a, and a, and a thing that I disagree with strenuously. But I also, in this moment, I can go, okay, this is your one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you off the hook here. We'll see how you go from now on. Haley, I'm sorry. I've been talking a lot. No, I, I, I really enjoy listening to you both because I think it gives um, two opposite sides of the coin when it comes to perspective. Because I think a lot of people feel the same way that both of you do as far as saying, I'm such a hardcore Blizzard fan and this these games are so important to me versus strongly disagreeing with what the stance that they've had and and not necessarily even like how Christian said, you know, I don't know what will be enough of an apology, but that wasn't it. Uh, I think a lot of people feel this way. So it's, it's probably important to be able to hear both sides of the issue and, um, and to still find that balance of, you know, I, I kind of felt the similar way. It's like, well, I'm going to go to, I'm going to be there. And like, should I go, should I not go? And do I feel good about being here in the first place? And, I think those are all internal battles that uh, probably a lot of people who went this weekend dealt with. So um, yeah, it's a tough issue. And I I think, um, I don't know, I hope it somehow gets resolved soon because it's tough to see so many people at odds over something that a lot of people tend to care about. Yeah. Well, um, we have spent a lot of time talking about that and we haven't really talked about all the insane news coming out of the show. Uh, Let me take a second and we'll, you know, we'll reboot uh, and, and dig into Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 and all the other craziness. Uh, But let me thank our first sponsor, which is Squarespace. Hey, if you've got something to say, you probably need a website. If you want to make your views known on things, uh, if you just want to blog or or even sell products online, services, anything, promote your your business, showcase your work, uh, you're going to need a website. And a lot of people feel like the idea of even getting a website is overwhelming it can be because it's super expensive to hire someone that knows what they're doing. It's very time consuming and intimidating to learn HTML yourself. None of that's necessary because Squarespace exists. Squarespace is a tool set and a web tool that allows you to build a website without any of those skills. It is just drag and drop. What you see is what you get. It's simple. You can make it yourself. You can Any of the reasons that anybody would need for building a website, super easy to make <clears throat> with Squarespace. You've got plugins, <clears throat> excuse me, esports plugins, or esports, 
e-commerce plugins, for example, that allow you to just drop in the ability to sell something online. You've got built-in search engine optimization. You've got analytics that help you grow in real time. You can buy domains, uh, choose from over 200 extensions. It's super easy to do that as well. Plus, if you run into any problems, they've got 24-7 award-winning customer support. There's never anything to patch or upgrade ever. It's just the way to do it. It is the best way to do it. I always recommend this to my family and friends whenever they need a website. Squarespace, easy. And if you go right now, you can go over and head out, uh, head over and check out squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. Get your free trial. Start building your website. You can use their tools. You don't even have to enter a credit card. They're not going to automatically charge you. You just make it yourself. See how simple it is. And then when you're ready to launch your website, use that promo code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. And the promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. Squarespace, make it yourself. All right, uh, let's dive back into some of the news coming out of BlizzCon. Um, Christian, did you want to say anything else about Diablo 4 proper? I know you you got to play it. Uh, what did you think playing it? Yeah, so uh, well, I'll save some of that for later, maybe, or not. So I, I you don't played have to. As- we got plenty to talk about in that section. I played as the druid. Uh, beautiful animations coming in and out of like from one creature to another. Um, I played the world boss. Um, it felt like more than nine people <laughs> in our fight. My, I'm very concerned. So it's beautiful. Oh, and there are in-game cinematics that I feel like are a first, or they are a first to the series where that type of beautiful um, cinematic stuff happens in the middle of a game. You know, like as you're coming out of a dungeon instance or something like that, which kind of up to the stakes, I feel like, or the the the, the weight of the situation. Um, my concern is with this always online open world kind of then instance dungeons thing, like the world boss that we fought there was, it was very much, it felt like, you know, kind of an MMO or, you know, a destiny kind of, uh, thing where like everybody's spinning and dancing. And it's just, it's like this weird thing of like, how immersed do you get into the game and how much is the game you hanging out with your friends? Like what I call like your golf game, you know, like you're not really there to play golf. You're there to ride around in a golf cart (laughs) and, uh, eat snacks or whatever. Um, and like for games like Diablo or something where it's dark and brooding and, and then it's just like you spawn this thing and oh my gosh, it's so cool. And now here you are and like, everybody's just like being weird and spammy and like uh Fortnite starter Island or something like that. Um, so I'm curious how that evolves. I think my biggest questions for it and um, Diablo Immortal were all the things they, which is their mobile game are all the things they weren't showing or talking about at the convention for Immortal, It's the cost uh, or the costs, all the microtransactions that may or may not be in it. And for four, it's all that stuff that, you know, is new to the series in in a, in a weird way, because I think Diablo three illustrates illustrated that sometimes the grandest visions for the biggest potential change of the franchise is one that doesn't fit well within it. And for Diablo three, it was the, you know, real gold auction house. Um, And I'm curious how these online always connected worlds and how players will react to that, because I could see a, you know, not my Diablo style hashtag, but at the same time, things need to change to evolve. But is that the franchise that needs to be this half step between an MMO 
and the the traditional dungeon crawler that it has been. Uh, the good news is we have several years um, to find that stuff out. But those were the biggest things that hung over. And then I wish, as someone who I know um, Haley will probably kill me, along with every other Diablo fan, I prefer controllers. Oh um, no, dude. Dude, they're going to support controller on PC. They announced controller support at day one, which is what they were saying. But I wish they had it. I wish I could demo it that way because I I got, I've been spoiled by. No more carpal um, tunnel. I've been spoiled by my controller points. I like separating movement. A whole generation of of Diablo players without carpal tunnel. It's going to be crazy. (laughs) You're hurting my soul, but. I know, but I'm supposed to because it's Diablo. You know what I mean? So (laughs) send your your soul to hell. (laughs) (laughs) That is the whole point. I will give you that. (laughs) Uh, Haley, what was your feeling playing the game in its current state? Uh, Well, are you referring to Diablo 4 or Immortal? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Diablo 4. Okay, cool. I was going to say, I didn't get a chance to check out Immortal. Um, I think that for how far they still have to go until release, this was a very good demo. Um, there was a lot to explore. There was lore already in place. Um, right off the bat, there were things that I noticed about the map and the world that were, um, cleaner and different. And I think the biggest thing is just that it felt, I had a lot of Diablo two vibes to it. Um, as far as the the graphics and the overall layout of the game, but the the interface itself felt a lot cleaner. For instance, you have um, your, your health globe still at the bottom left, but then below it is your mana or your fury, depending on who you're playing. Um, and it just looks a bit um, fresher, I guess, and more updated, which is nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, oh, I mean, overall, like even things just as simple as when you go across the map, you can like walk on water now, not walk, not walk on water, but like if there's a, a river in the past that you wouldn't have been able to necessarily cross, you can walk over it now. And um, if there's a cliff or, or an edge of a kind that you wouldn't at, previously, you wouldn't be able to go that way. Now there's an option to climb down and so you or climb up and you're like, oh, well, I can climb down and see what else there is. Um, so just to, just to see that there's more of it already in, um, in such an early state is exciting. And that, that gives me hope for what we'll see in a couple of years when the full game is released. I remember BlizzCon, I want to say 2012 was the BlizzCon that I first played Diablo 3. Maybe it was 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was still a couple of years, but I don't remember what year did Diablo come out um whatever it was whatever year that 2013 whatever year they showed diablo 3 for the first time it was playable at blizzcon i played it and i was like just let me take this home now it's amazing now and they're like no no it's like multiple years away no 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 you don't understand it's amazing now and that's what i mean that's what i love about blizzard is that they're they, they polish their games. They spend, you know, after mm-hmm. a game, many companies would publish a game. They cancel them. <laughs> They're like, nah, this isn't good enough. Or they polish the heck out of them. And uh, that sounds like what Diablo 4's demo is like already, where it, it feels really polished and amazing uh, and is not even close to where their level of polish is for it. So, Or there's I'm just really not excited. any more of it than what they showed, right? I feel like that is also possible. From what I played, that, that chunk felt very final like it didn't feel you know like sometimes you get early hands-on with the game and it's very clear that something's not there yet this felt like everything i could see or do was was there and then you could click on the map and be like oh (laughs) you got a lot of work to do because this map is huge 
much. Right. Well, but but content isn't necessarily the last thing to, to enter into the situation. It's it's all those, you know, it's how all those systems butt up against one another and all those things that we're talking about, about, you know, open world and all that stuff is, is going to be, I think, what they figure out and, and tweak over the next however long. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that product comes out. But I, I'm very encouraged by the fact that it still feels like Diablo, like the, the talent system that they showed where now you do have more of a Diablo two, you know, you got to invest in things and it's permanent uh, aspect to it alongside a second system, a skill system, or this, I guess the skill system is the permanent one. And the talent system is the more Diablo three version, which is, you know, variable and can change from based on new equipment you get or whatever, which I loved from Diablo three. So I like that they're trying to, you know, have their cake and eat it too that way, have both worlds in there and, and we'll see how that, that works out. I like it. But, yeah. But we should transition to the other gigantic announcement. I mean, there were several, but this, I think they're top two. Overwatch 2, and we have a veritable Overwatch expert with, in our midst. Uh, Haley, you are, I was watching your stream uh, of Overwatch. As you mentioned, you have a long history with the team. Um, Overwatch 2, we were, it was, was rumored to be this big numbered sequel and lo and behold those rumors were correct numbered well, sequel it's a numbered sequel <laughs> their words they're redefining what it means to be a sequel yeah well okay well let's start there haley what what is your take on do you think this should be a sequel do you think this should have been more like an an expansion pack how did it feel playing it does it feel like a a whole new game what's your take see the answer i'm going to say yes and no because as it is, it feels like an expansion. What what is out right now feels like it should just be downloadable content that's an additional, you know, 20 bucks or whatever to keep playing, purely because they've already said that the new PvP mode and the new heroes and all those maps and things like that they've announced will all be playable within the original Overwatch community as well as Overwatch 2. So that sounds like it's already just gonna be like given to those who have Overwatch. So so the main addition which is, I guess, making Overwatch 2 is going to be the PvE stuff. Um, as for how it felt, it, it truly, to me, didn't feel like a new game. The reason that I'm waiting to to full-on give my wholehearted, honest, this is how I feel opinion is because um, I, I was lucky enough to have Jeff Kaplan come and sit down with me while I was streaming uh, yesterday, and we chatted about it. And he yeah, made, I watched. He it made was it great. Yeah, it was it was actually like super convenient that he just happened to be there. Um, and he made it very clear he, that the content that we saw at BlizzCon was absolutely scratching the very tip, tip, tip surface of what's going to be yeah. in Overwatch Two. Um, he said we don't we haven't even shown any of the hero mission missions yet. He said that to you. Yep. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't I didn't feel like the hero missions were a big deal, but it it made it. Coming out of that conversation with you, I was like, oh, maybe it is. A it seems game. like that's going to be the main part of the game, actually, just yeah. purely from the emphasis that he had on it and the grind that supposedly is going to um, to come with that, which is exciting because I'm like, OK, the, if it's more than just the PVE stuff, the, you know, the PVE stuff was cool. And we I, we attempted to play it on expert, but I guess somebody didn't choose that. So we only got to play it on normal mode. Um, normal mode was kind of a piece of cake and it was pretty quick. Uh, it ended on a to be continued with Lucio, which pissed everybody off naturally. But um, if there truly is so much more to the game than what we're expecting, which I, I, I believe, I believe Jeff Kaplan when he says that, um, aside from the fact that he's just a very honest individual, um, I, I had a chance to chat with him earlier this year. I was at the Blizzard campus for an event with Lego 
And uh, I ran into him and we chatted and he made a comment where he was like, you know, people think that we're not really doing anything behind the scenes and that Overwatch is stale and it is what it is. And he kind of laughed and was like, they have absolutely no idea what's coming. So I, I, I trust that they've got some tricks up their sleeves and that Overwatch 2 is going to be more than just what was shown at BlizzCon. Um, similarly to Diablo 3, I doubt it's going to be out anytime soon, soon. Four. Um, Diablo 4. I'm sorry, Diablo 4, thank you. I, I doubt it's going to be out anytime soon, soon. So, because, uh, and they, they specifically, I asked, I'm like, did they say a general idea? I said, no, we haven't announced release date. They haven't announced uh, pricing. I think people will be irritated if it's another $60 full game price, just purely because it doesn't feel like a separate game right now. Um, but we'll see. Maybe they'll release more, um, you know, early access beta type stuff that you can check out before they they announce those things. I hope they do. I really do. It's interesting, Christian, that the this idea of, hey, all the people who have Overwatch 1 will still be able to play with all the people who buy Overwatch 2. There'll still be this overlap, this Venn diagram of Overwatch content. But then the people who have Overwatch 2 will have all this additional stuff as well. Feels very much like, hey, you could still play in World of Warcraft if you don't buy the expansion, but there's people who are off on another continent doing fun continent stuff. Uh, so it's not like they don't have experience with that in the past, but this is a numbered sequel. Is Are you expecting, do you feel like it's justifiable to expect more from a numbered sequel or is that just a just a semantic difference? Yeah, I'm curious to see if they can solve the eSport problem of it, I think, right? And it's something that Call of Duty, who I think does excellent an excellent job of, of eSporting their game or has uh, in the past, at least. Um, but it's difficult where it's not like um, the NFL or NBA or MLB or hockey or whatever, where it's the same teams, the same year, the same basic rules. They make tweaks and changes. Here it's a whole new game. Now we are playing... Uh, black ops now we're playing modern warfare now we're playing uh black ops 2 it's like so now it's like we're playing overwatch and they, they've clearly made a huge investment in overwatch as an esport and part of that requires some form of consistency in terms of play style ability type of game um maps uh, ease of entry for new people coming into it and trying to have that community as big and broad as possible and i think Something that has hurt other esporty games is this idea of iteration with numbered sequels or boxed sequels that come out that divide that player base. Right, you got to move up to this new one to keep playing, um, otherwise you're not on the tour or whatever it is, so to speak. And certainly Counter Strike and there and there are other examples of games that have maintained one basic version of the game going forward for its its competitive scene. But you know, for Activision Blizzard. They have made a, a killing on the the box sequel for a long time, and and Blizzard, as you mentioned, through this the large expansion pack for for WoW and how they handled that, and so I think it depends on how much uh, is in this part two. Like you got, it needs to be enough to justify the price, and as Haley mentioned, they have not kind of said what that is, but it it can't be too much, I think, in terms of the multiplayer, the competitive scene, to really fracture that that large player base and and that competitive player base so i think it's how they walk that line i found the story stuff that what they had there to be very compelling it you know it felt like a destiny strike but with more 
unique classes and some that's something I think destiny has struggled with where a warlock and a hunter for all intents and purposes. And I know this has changed some going forward, but they feel largely the same. Um, that's because it's a loot specific game, right? It's you're, how much can a class be different when you're worried about loot? You know, I, well, feel like I mean, Diablo says high. Well, true. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and so, but, and I think they're going to, Diablo is going to have to struggle with that too. When you're in a large instance or a large open world, like how is that loot dropping? Can everyone collect it? It's stuff that games like this are trying to solve, I think. And I, so I think for me, the questions for Overwatch 2 and its story stuff and its hero stuff is how do they make that either how much, how is there enough in it that it feels satisfying in its of itself where you kind of play through it once and you're done? Or is there character progression so you want to keep grinding through it and playing it over and over again, even though it's fairly similar, you have to wait through the same cutscene and the same animation and the same boss spawn. Or like Destiny, you're doing that for loot, but in Overwatch, why would I replay those missions in Overwatch well, 2? One of the things that Jeff said in talking to Haley that I found interesting was that the team is really experimenting right now, he said, with uh, the idea of being able to play lots more different heroes within a cutscene. If a cutscene has, uh, you know, um, uh, whatever, you know, right now it's just Lucio and a few others, it, it, but they bump into other characters. Reinhardt jumps in. It's like, well, we, we can't play as Reinhardt. Letting that be a reason to replay those story missions because you're seeing it or you're playing it from even right. more heroes perspectives. But that's just more content, right? That's like, I'd imagine you're, you're making another level, you know, to some extent. And so I'm, I'm very curious how they do it because it did, you know, I think it played very well. Um, I only play it on normal cause I'm not nearly as good uh, as some people on this show might be uh, no need for expert, <laughs> but we were able to get through it and it was fun. And, you know, I saw people figuring out how to work best with the team. It was tracer Lucio Reinhardt and, um, who was the fourth character in the PVE? Uh, Echo? Echo? No. no. Tracer. Join the P- it was Tracer, May, Lucio, and Ryan. May, thank you. Yeah, yes, May. yes, yeah. And so seeing how those characters, they worked well together uh, for that type of thing. Um, uh, so it, it depends on how much content there is and, and what it is and how it's priced. It's super interesting. And it's, yeah. it's not an easy thing to do. Because um, what I'm more interested in is that story style content but then if they do have this replayability thing with like perks and powers and upgrade paths or whatever then does the multiplayer feel stale by example because none of that stuff carries over and you're stuck with uh may you know doing what she's always been doing for the last five years it's it's not an easy thing to do i guess it's not much different than destiny's you know bifurcation between the pvp and the pve right you have things that don't really carry over into right the and i think the game struggles because of that yeah. right like and, and they try to force you to do the one through season rewards like now you got to go right. play five of pv and you're like oh crap <laughs> i mean it's a wow problem too i mean it happens in wow as well uh Haley, is there are there things about overwatch 2 that you're what are your hopes and dreams for what we have yet to find out about overwatch 2 I want like as much lore as they can just shove in my face. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I want the lore yeah. so bad because Overwatch has done this thing where they they tell a story from the very beginning and every cinematic that they've done, um, especially for each of the individual heroes is just, I, I think I've cried watching probably all of them. 
Yeah, we went we went gaga over the Diablo cinematic, but man, I I teared up okay. at the new Overwatch. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful cinematic. It's so yep. good, and it's only like four minutes. I'm like, how did they do yeah. this to me? I'm, I'm sitting there, I, I genuinely laundry, and then two minutes in, I'm in tears. Um, yeah. And and that's just something that they uh, they do very well. They tell a story and they evoke emotion very well. So I want to know more about a lot of these heroes and their backstory, and we get little hints about some of these people like Echo and. Um, a few others, and I'm like, well, who are you? You know, what? What? Tell us about you. So I'm hoping that specifically, specifically with the hero missions, that we um, we get more out of who these characters are that we're playing, um, and and how they interact with each other, and even the little Easter eggs that we get in the cinematic, where you see when Tracer's flying the jet, you see the picture of her girlfriend on the dash, and um, just the little things that I think people maybe even missed. It's like, okay, there's there's a story there, and I want to know what it is. Um, so that would be exciting for me. And um, overall, just expanding on the PVE aspect, I want like a really like challenging PVE. I don't, I don't want something that's a cakewalk that I can do just to to find things out and then be done with it. I want to really feel like I worked hard to to clear out the robots or whatever the mission is that um, that we're working on. So I hope that they can kind of give that to those who. And I think that was something that. Uh, Jeff had touched on when I talked to him. He said there's going to be a legendary mode for people who, who really want to, you know, who really want to yeah. try. So that that sounds like it's right up my alley. It sounds like the hero missions might be a lot of that too. It feels like those are a a version of things they do in other games like Diablo, where you you'll, you may get a key that you know can increase the difficulty and make things crazier and crazier mm-hmm. and crazier. So there's lots of replayability there, and and like how deep can we go? How far can we go? Yep. A lot of games do that. But um, it'll be interesting to see that in the context of Overwatch. And if you know, if, if you're talking about a game that's got DNA similar to a Destiny or, or something like that, but I'm now I'm leveling up individual heroes. I found that find that pretty interesting. I mean, it feels a little bit like Heroes of the Storm for me, where I was, you know, I had different hero levels, and depending on which hero I played, those would get experience and level up. I I, I like that loop that carrot on a stick and um i i the thing i wanted most out of overwatch was a campaign mode a story mode this doesn't feel exactly like a campaign mode it feels more like maps that are built around a series of cutscenes, but pretty cool i mean the the sequence that i saw you playing Haley, which I'm, I'm sure christian you played as well is you know jumping on a uh a transporter and going up to a large ship and and then that transition was felt really cool and cinematic and neat. Um, so, you know, I think they're going to do a good job with it. It'll be interesting to see how deep that story goes and why I would want to replay. Yeah. It. Integrating the story itself into the gameplay and making, making, cause you can only find out so much information. Like once you know it, you know it. So there's gotta be an incentive yeah. to want to continue playing through that. So I'm curious to see how they do it too. But it's a world that I find really attractive and interesting. I love the lore. I love the characters. They're so, so different and well, um, their their identity is so well defined, each of them. It's a world that I f- wish that I had more access to. I'm just such rubbish at first person multiplayer games that I bounced off of Overwatch pretty fast because I just, I don't have much fun because I'm so terrible at them. But I was like, I would return to this world. I would love to explore this world if I could play in a cooperative way with my friends. And I, I feel like they're doing that. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Uh, the other big reveal, it sounds like we don't have uh, other wow players than myself. Uh, Haley, you were never a wow player. Is that right? 
I tried. I tried. And it's just it's so much commitment that I just genuinely don't have. <laughs> like yeah. there's just not the tech out of time, but I, I, I know a decent amount about the game. Well, then I won't spend too much time on it. I, I am a World of Warcraft uh, addict, which why was why it was a big deal for me to cancel my subscription. Um, but the new expansion is called Shadowlands. Um, it it sounds like of the big reveals, it's going to be the first to actually be released, and they say it will come out before December thirty first, twenty twenty. So I'm guessing November twenty twenty. So we got about a year before this one hopefully comes out. Um, but it's, we're visiting the afterlife, I guess, in Warcraft, the Shadowlands are the, the place that spirits go when, when they die. And, uh, it's, it's a much darker expansion. I tend to not be as in love with the dark expansions of WoW. I'm much more a fan of the, the lighter, uh, expansions, the goofier expansions. I, maybe I'm the outlier on that because people tend to like the dark stuff, but, uh, Legion, you know, I didn't love as much as, uh, Mr. Pandaria, you know, I'm, I'm down for Mr. Pandaria any day of the week, but, um, uh, this one looks pretty cool. Lots of interesting new stuff. Uh, and the, all the things you would expect the, the most, I think interesting new feature is that they're doing a level squish. And instead of making the new level cap 160 or whatever it would be, uh, it is going to be 60, like it was at launch of WoW. They are squishing all the levels down so that all the content now is your level 1 to 50, and then the new expansion would be from 50 to 60. So I don't know how the heck they're going to do that. Uh, it sounds like a crazy idea. I guess I guess they just let you play a very, very tiny portion of the amount of content they've got, and you can level a whole character. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I've heard good things about the expansion. The people who did play it this weekend had had really, really good things to say. And uh, again, cinematic is it, just phenomenal. I think overall they they did a really great job with getting people hyped about it. And especially when uh, a big thing that people did with uh, you know the controversy with Hong Kong was a ton of people canceled their World of Warcraft subscription. So yeah. um, for for Blizzard to announce something as big as this for for the world, it doesn't surprise me. They they got they got to pander to their people who left them and, and try and get them back home. I, I think objectively speaking, it's the biggest BlizzCon in terms of pure announcements ever. I think this is a major, I mean, major numbered sequels and a so, new WoW expansion. That's big. My question for you on that, Jeff, as someone who we've both been on record on this show talking about how we loved what um, Bethesda did with Fallout 4 many years ago. Like, I think that's part of the news and, and I'm not saying that this is a reaction to, we got to distract from Hong Kong. These things take way too long to make and produce. Um, of course. This has been in the works for a while, but this is not Fallout 4 announcement, right? Like, is no. it... Is it? I'm, I guess they have to have a BlizzCon. They can't do a Sony and be like, "We're not doing PSX this year because oh, our games are a ways off." But these games are a ways off. Like they've how, always done that, are. though. They've Blizzard has always been a hey, we're making a game, and then people are like two years later, are like you're still making that game, right? Like, yeah, that's why whole, the whole Blizzard soon is a thing. You know, it's Blizzard. Right. We know you're making this game. It's just taking forever to come out. And it's crazy to think that Diablo 4 was supposed to be announced last year. So that would have been an additional year of knowing that this game was coming, that it wasn't coming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely prefer the – I just found out about a thing and I'm going to be playing it in six months. I definitely prefer that just just because uh, it, it feels a little more – you know, it feels a little better to be like I, I get the candy now. But um, 
But, you know, this is Blizzard's way, and, and we'll be hearing about these games a lot coming up. It does feel like the deck was stacked, maybe a little more stacked than it might have been without the controversy. But then I've, you know, I've hosted things for Blizzard. I've, I have lots of experience working with that company. I happen to know that BlizzCon gets planned 8, 12 months in advance. I mean, they're yes. talking about what happens at next year's BlizzCon in like the next month. So, you know, it is not a is not a reactionary situation very often at that company. No, definitely not. But I, I do think that there's you're you're right on the money when you say that they maybe put in a couple extra things that they may not have. Because I agree, this this BlizzCon was easily um, my personal favorite in in recent years, just purely based on the content that they they premiered. Yeah. Um, and that that I think getting people hyped and and making it a much bigger deal than it may otherwise would have been. Like maybe they wouldn't have announced Diablo Four with it being super far off in advance. I just actually looked it up, and with Overwatch, they announced it in November of. 2014 and the game itself was released a year and a half later so 18 months that sounds pretty typical but when they say it's not even blizzard soon you're like well then why'd you announce it so far in advance i i I don't know i it's not like they just created a game overnight just to respond to controversy but i could see them packing uh packing their schedule a little tighter just to make everybody happy yeah all right well that's blizzcon and uh that's the news we're gonna talk we still have so many games to talk about that we've been playing i can't wait to tell you about Death Stranding. But first, I want to thank our second sponsor, and that is Quip. Now, here's the thing. There are some times when we have sponsors on the show, and I'm like, oh my gosh, can we, I, I, I like request the sponsor. I'm like, can we get that sponsor? Because I already know I love the product. I would love to be able to talk about it on the show. It'd be great to have them as a sponsor. Sometimes that happens. I get to talk about something I already like. Other times, a sponsor comes to us, and I'm like, is this going to be a thing I love? And then they send me the thing and I go, oh my, this has changed my life. That's Quip. I didn't know I needed a new toothbrush in my life that I could, they could improve the toothbrush. And yet Quip has completely improved the toothbrush. I now have three Quips in my home. I love them. I can never go back. And it sounds like a crazy thing that a toothbrush can be that much better. But Quip truly has made my brushing of my teeth a better experience. Why? Because I don't have to think about it. I get a better quality brush. I, they have, they have, I mean, the, the brush itself is better. The bristles are better. They're made for sensitive gums. They're soft quills. They're, they give you a, a good cleaning, just like any toothbrush you, you expect should. It's an electric toothbrush. But the best part is I've probably never in my life actually brushed for the dentist recommended two minutes. Until I got the quip because the quip pulses after 30 seconds, four times. So I know, Hey, I'm progressing along. There's a pulse. Okay. I can move to another section of my mouth. Keep going. And then after two minutes, it turns itself off. So I can be thinking about other things. I don't have to go. How long have I been brushing? Which quadrants have I done? Have I got my whole thing? Uh, Most of the time in my life, I would just rush through. I would, I would do a terrible job of cleaning my teeth and I would suffer for it. And now I've got the quip there to take that off my plate. It handles it. It tells me when there's been two minutes gone. It tells me every 30 seconds. It's awesome. Plus, I can guarantee you I've used the same brush for like a year when it is absolutely useless. Now with my Quip subscription, they send me a new head for the brush, a new uh, tube of toothpaste, everything I need. It's super easy. The, The instructions come with it to tell me how to replace the the head so I get new bristles that are better, that are fresh in the dentist recommended time frame every three months. 
It's improved my life. And now we're ready to improve your life. Quip starts at just 25 bucks and you get your first refill free when you go to getquip.com slash DLC. It's a simple way to support this show and to start brushing better, but you have to go to getquip.com slash DLC to get your first refill free. So go right now, getquip.com slash DLC. Make sure you put that slash DLC so they know that you heard about it here. Getquip.com slash DLC. Tons of fun stuff to talk about on the playlist. Haley, let's start with you. What you been playing? You know, I've been kind of in this weird, um, I don't even know what to call it, like a slump, if you will, in games. Just because it hasn't felt like a ton has come out. I mean, I know that the new Call of Duty just came out, which um, even though I love FPS games, it, it, it's not really my type. Uh, so I've been playing a lot of like um, Rainbow Six Siege, CSGO. Um, I, I picked up Shadowkeep, the new Destiny expansion, which mm-hmm. is really, really good. I really enjoy it. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very prone to loving my shooter games. Those are, yes. my, those are my, my style. So what is it about a shooter that makes it be a mainstay for you? What, what, what are the hooks that you need to feel like this is a, a shooter that you're going to stream a lot? I'm really competitive. <laughs> that's, that's just my nature in general. I, I really care about um, my skill and my gameplay and how I play and improving. In fact, I played Counter-Strike exclusively um, on my channel for about a year and a half. And I, it just got to the point where I had to stop because I, I it was making me so angry <laughs> and like unhappy <laughs> as a person. It was like affecting me outside of my, my normal hours and, my husband's like, are you okay? <laughs> and, uh, and so I took a step back from that for a little while. And, you know, I, I just, I, I think it's just something that the competitiveness of it and the opportunity to improve, plus the fact that I can play with friends and all three of those games are very appealing in themselves. And I was never one to jump on the siege train when it first came out. I'm, I'm actually very new to rainbow six siege, but I freaking love it, man. It is a good game between um, the different operators and the skill sets that they have and learning the maps. It's challenging. It's fun. I don't feel like it's a game that I, anybody can just pick up. Like it takes dedication, which is a, a big uh, selling point for me. So uh, I suck right now <laughs> because I'm so new, but I don't know. Give me some time and maybe I'll, maybe I'll be a little better. I'm sure that if given the chance, I would take your version of sucking. Uh, I, I would, <laughs> I, I would happily, I feel like, your your perception of what sucking is is uh, is like me leveling up my skill set. It's like <laughs> what I wish I could do. Uh, I appreciate but, that. No, no, I I have no doubt that's true. I I am so terrible at multiplayer uh, first person shooters. But uh, I think Rainbow Six Siege is a, a a I mean it's obviously a huge game and it's a blind spot for both Christian and I. Christian, don't let me speak for you, but I feel like neither of us really got in on that uh that wave of people that you know fell in love with that game so i'd love to dig out right after a mass shooting and i gave it like six or eight hours that first weekend and i just felt awful playing it and i never was able to get back into it but i have friends who you know swear by it and i think it's a great example of we didn't talk about this but ubisoft doubling down to fix um 
the breakpoint. yeah breakpoint and like if anything can shine a light on what ubisoft is capable of it's something like siege where it launched and it was, it was a, and now it's one of the biggest competitive shooters out there isn't that crazy See? that's cra- that's so crazy to me that's that a game because it has a very loyal community like if you if you're a part of the siege community and and you stream it like you will always have people who will watch your content um, but the fact that you have coming from such a nah, start off to, yeah. to just continuing to grow their player base. In fact, I think I looked at a statistic that saw uh, the player base of Rainbow Six Siege over the years. And it just it just keeps going up and up and up and up. And that's God, that's so impressive to me. Yeah. yeah. And I think that I can certainly see that happening with Breakpoint. I th- I, I could imagine three years from now we're talking about how Breakpoint had that same kind of turnaround. I, I you know, say what you will about Ubisoft they support their games. They really do. And um, it's impressive to see that kind of pipeline for things. And and one of the things that they said was that we need to have more time between big uh, iterations in our franchises to be able to support them further and, and create those communities. So I think that's an interesting learning position from Breakpoint. And I, I could totally see them rebuilding it. Um, but let's let's just dig in a little bit on Siege and tell me, you know, you already mentioned uh, the, the different class types is, is one of the things you enjoy about it. But what else about Siege makes you exclaim, as you did, that it's such a great game? I, I think it's just somehow found this really great balance between um, the the overall FPS vibe that I like, but also adding in the operator standpoint where everybody has different abilities, but also adding in the different maps and the different capabilities of entering those maps and um, the different places that you can hide. I mean, I have friends who are ridiculously good at this stupid game and they were, they were showing me kind of just coaching me through learning certain maps. And they were like, well, if you want to play it like this, you can, you can break this door and then hide on top of this washing machine. And then if you peek to the right, if you lean to the right, you can easily peek through and see this, this door right there. And you can, and I'm like, I never in my entire life would have thought of something like that. And so (laughs) I think it's just the depth of the game overall of the different um, ways that you can approach it and the different strategies that you can apply to it. And, um, and just, you're constantly learning. I feel like, I feel like if the time ever comes where, I have spots on certain maps where I know things like that. I, and games like Counter-Strike, I do the, know those things because that, that I think right. CSGO is the game that I, I truly know like the back of my hand. But um, it's exciting to know that there's still so much to learn and there's so much opportunity to continue to improve that if I got good enough at a game like Siege, I'd feel, I think, very accomplished it, it, just purely from how much effort and learning that I'd put into it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's a cool thing. And and you know, from an old fogey like me who grew up with video games as something that you purchased, you played through, and then you moved on to the next one. Mm -hmm. It has been a relatively recent feeling or that I have had where I feel that uh, endless depth in something. And for me, it was heroes of the storm that really pushed me over the edge. And obviously games have been doing this longer than that. But for me, finding a game where I wanted to find that depth, that, that, that feeling of, I know that, you know, that I know that, you know, mm-hmm. that you're, you're going to do that. So I'm going to do that thing that you don't think I know that, you know, that I'm going to do. I mean, that feeling with another human being on the other end where the depth of my knowledge is going against the depth of your knowledge. And we're going to see how it plays out and the depth of my skill too. 
Um, it, you know, it's a wonderful place for video games to be in. And they've been that way for a long time. But, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about on this game and on the show about uh, games you're married to versus games you're dating. And uh, for my whole life, I was just dating games and, and finding games to get married to and play for a much longer period of time and get much better at and deeper on uh, relatively new experience for me. And I respect people like you who are like, that's your bread and butter. That's all you want to do is get married to games. That's it. Honestly, that's, that's such a great way to phrase it. I've never heard that before dating games versus marrying games, but I am, I am a long-term relationship girl, both in life and in <laughs> video games. So it's, it's very true that I, I that's just how I am. I want to find a game that, totally captivates me and catches my interest that I can just grind and think about and want to play off stream. I think that's a big selling point for me. If there's a game that I play on stream and I end my broadcast and I want to keep playing, oh man, I've I've found a gem because it's it's easy as a yeah. streamer to kind of get burnt out on games when you play them, you know, for a living. Sure. So when I've got something that I'm like, man, and I'll message my friend group after offline, I'm like, you guys want to keep playing? I'll be like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> the best feeling. Yeah. Very cool. Christian Spicer, uh, we talked a lot about the stuff you played at uh, at BlizzCon, but there is a gigantic release on the Switch that you've also been playing this week. Am I right? Well, I mean, the game I've been playing is all about death. Um, good, and, good. Uh, what 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 we do in a world where we've been. Um, it's similar to what you've been playing, Jeff. It's uh, uh, stylistically, uh, yes. ideologically, it's the same. Uh, Luigi- mechanically, it's almost exactly the it's same. It's almost exactly the same game. I've been playing Luigi's Mansion 3 on Switch. And my goodness, this game... So, uh, admission, I'm a Luigi's Mansion fan. From <laughs> I liked it from uh, way back in the day. This is, in my opinion, the best luigi's mansion that they have made it is maybe uh, mario kart 8 deluxe is real nice too and so is breath of the wild but it is a visual tour de force of what nintendo does so well in terms of art design art direction and playing in a world where they um don't try to do too much right like does it have real-time ray tracing no no it does not can i see luigi's (laughs) reflection in mirrors you better believe I can, <laughs> you know, like it's those things that pull you in to this world and the way they have it um, designed and they let you explore this mansion or this hotel in a way that um, as I'm going through it, everything feel like there are some like go here, do this things. But at the same time, there are surprises around every corner and the way the game kind of unfolds feels organic and interesting. But I bet as a, as a Nintendo is a, a master at, if you know you and I were to compare our notes, like you and a friend playing it, you kind of would have done very similar things at very similar times, but it feels like it was your decision to do those, so kind of like mm-hmm. your agency and how you explored this room or found, oh, I can do this now, and you run back to this area to do this thing. Um, and it's just full of personality in a way that Nintendo games are. It, it just absolutely shines, and it looks great in handheld mode, um, but if you have, a, you know, a dock and you're not playing just on a switch light, I highly recommend getting it up on a big TV because that art direction um, really, really shows itself on a larger screen. My biggest nit with the game is one that I, I hope they can patch. And it seems really indefensible to me uh, as a 
y-axis inverter, you can't invert. And I don't, I don't know why. Like you don't, it's not like a first person shooter, you know, so I'm not trying to uh, capture ghosts very quickly in a very frenetic uh, pace per se, but I, I, I do struggle. Like I have been a constant inverter from ever, <laughs> you know, from way back, I think as long as I've been playing and to not be able to do it in this game is a, is a real bummer. Like, I don't know why it's, it's not included. And so puzzles will take me, you know, 0.5 longer to complete than they otherwise would. And same with some of the boss battles or whatever. I'm just not quite as uh, elegant on as I would be. And then I, I think, think it's, I'm, I think it's finally proof that you've been playing wrong. Oh no. And, and <laughs> Nintendo knows it. Nintendo <laughs> knows it. And finally someone has the guts to say it. And that someone is Luigi. He like death stares at me and doesn't yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't let me change it. I've been uh, telling you, I've been telling you for years, and finally Luigi has got my back on this. <laughs> yeah, it's very. I remember we when we demoed Breath of the Wild on Wii U uh, yeah. all those years ago. You couldn't yes. invert in that demo. I literally gave you my extra time because I could not play yeah. it. All of Nintendo, I guess, uh, believes the correct way to play. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it's it's a real bummer, man. It really bums me out. Um, but that being said, the game is incredible and it is, this is like preaching to the choir to you, Jeff, but the way the world is built, you're kind of like looking in at these, at like the front half of this hotel is kind of cut off. So it's kind of, you're looking into this diorama and as Mm -hmm. I'm playing it, all I can think is my goodness, I wish this was on a capable VR system. Yes. Play this like Moss. Because it, it's that same type of feeling, and like you're, it already looks like a kind of a dollhouse, and yeah. it has some spooky, uh, you know, little jumps, little jump scares, kind of like the first two games did. But that world in VR, I think, would be absolutely incredible. Is it and supported then, on cardboard? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you need two cardboards, one to throw up into if you're playing yeah. on on Labo VR. Um, and then the other thing that I didn't, it doesn't tell you you can do this, but this is my tip. And I, I saw it somewhere else too, after I like searched for it. Um, the, the triggers are the shoulder buttons also work for what the face buttons do. So for example, a shines your flashlight. So does the right shoulder button. Cause it's this weird thing where the first Luigi's mansion because of the GameCube controller and same with, um, the 3ds or ds 3ds where's the sequel the s the the other one um you know it wasn't really dual analog but now you're dual analoging and but it wants you to like push a to shine your flashlight but that's also how you would aim your flashlight and so it's kind of this you know i tried like the claw approach or just like going very like running away then aiming then shooting uh the shoulder buttons the shoulder buttons totally work and when i learned that it really freed it up and I felt like, oh, this is how you should play the game. Mm. But as it tutorials you through it, it, it never tells you you can do that, at least that I saw. And I, mm. I find that I find that fascinating. So besides a c- couple of controller quirks, um, my top five game of the year list is currently 25 strong. <laughs> but oh, it's, yeah, I mean, we're full on into too many games. But it's it, yes, Sorry. too many games, but it's on there. But I don't, you know. I also know that we've been burying the lead for quite a while on this week's show, Jeff. So I don't know how much more Luigi's Mansion, unless Haley or Jeff, you guys have questions. I'd love to keep talking about it. But I also know that there's a a big mysterious release that no one really knows anything about 
Uh. Yeah. yeah, I want to talk about Death Stranding. Uh, so, Haley, apologies. Strap in because okay. I got I, I got a lot to say about Death Stranding. Let's hear it. Uh, f- feel free to jump in with any any questions or comments you may have. Uh, but I will preface all of this by saying listeners to this show are very well aware that I didn't give this game much of a chance at all. Uh, Christian, you will remember many many times of me chiding you know being kind of i would say even uncharacteristically kind of pessimistic about this game and feeling like some might call of, it jeffamistic <laughs> maybe maybe uh the uh the idea that uh, kojima didn't have any any overlords anymore i kind of felt like would be a bad thing you see these crazy creators these very uh, auteur creators on in any medium once there aren't any framework there's no rules there's no uh, limiting factors on them, sometimes they are not able to put out as good a work because actually that framework forced them to actually focus and, and make better stuff. And I thought that might be the case here with Death Stranding. I really, every time we saw a new trailer, I was like, oh, this is, I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to like this. And I historically have not been nearly the Hideo Kojima fan that Christian is. I, I like the Metal Gear games. I, I really enjoyed uh, MGS 4 and 5. Um, very much, but uh, you know, I they were never my. It's never my franchise. I never put him on the pedestal. A lot of people put him on, so I'm coming at this really expecting not to like it, and um, I I'm going to have to eat a lot of crow on Death Stranding. The other thing that's interesting to me is this is an experience that may sound a little annoying to talk about, but because many listeners will never have this experience, but. Playing something before the world gets to um, and playing something where everybody who's playing it is sworn to secrecy that they're playing it means that I just assumed my opinion about it would be what everybody's opinion about it is. I'm playing something. I'm like, oh, man, I think this and I don't have any other opinions about the thing in the, in the, the ether, in the world. I'm not, I wasn't really talking to anybody else that was playing it. I wasn't, there's was nothing to read about it. Cause it was all, we're all embargoed. And then all of a sudden the embargo lifts and I realize, Oh, people have different opinion about this. So it, it's a strange thing thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm going to talk about a game in a certain way when I am allowed to talk about it. And then when it actually gets here, I feel like I feel a little defensive about my opinion. Now I'm not going to be talking about it. Like I thought, I'm going to be sort of defending my opinion about it because so many people have already the opposite opinion. So all of that is to say, I think Death Stranding is an extraordinary thing. I think Death Stranding is an extraordinary work of art. I have, Christian, as long as you've known me, longer than you've known me, uh, I've been, you know, making content on the internet about video games for 12, over 12 years. All of that time, all of that, even back on the Totally Rad Show, one of the things that I brought up all the time was, boy, I'd sure like a AAA game to come up with a, a content loop that isn't just shooting. Boy, wouldn't it be amazing to think of a way for a, a big budget action-y game to come up with a different 30 seconds of fun? That we can, we, you know, even something like Uncharted has to fall back on letting you shoot 400 bad guys 
because it can't quite figure out what to give you to do. And because the mercenary hired 400 people to defend their treasure, Jeff. Oh, yeah, I guess so. We have to murder all of them. You're right. You're right. Thank you. Um, But obviously there are lots of games. There's survival genre and there there are other genres of games that have come out that have found ways to, you know, have you think about things. But I think Death Stranding is a very original take on what that can be. It's just an idea, but it's a very new idea. And it is such a an extraordinary feeling that after all these years of my life playing video games, to be playing something that feels really, really new. This is, this is an auteur who has a lot to offer. And this game is going to change video games. Now, clearly Death Stranding is influenced by Breath of the Wild. And you can say that if it weren't for Breath of the Wild, I don't think Death Stranding would exist. I I find it very hard to believe that this game could exist in a vacuum outside of Breath of the Wild. This, to me, feels very much like Hideo Kojima playing Breath of the Wild and going, oh, I can do something like this. I don't have any proof of that, but it certainly feels that way. So, so, so in a sense, you have to you know really pay homage to breath of the wild for being brand new but go ahead christian what were you gonna say so if you're, if you're building up to this i really apologize uh i have a couple of questions i'll start with what the heck is it well yeah thank I'm, you obviously, obviously <laughs> i'm building up to it i'm obviously building up to it but like stop it they've been building up to it with tra- like what what is What's it the game <laughs> okay we're not going to talk about story, right? Because story is its own layer that is... It's Conan O'Brien. I get it. You're Andy typically crazy. Yeah, typically crazy uh, Kojima stuff. Although it kind of worked for me too. The game is, at its very core, moving from place to place by carrying things, which sounds dreadful. <laughs> People talk about it as being just fetch quests, which I think is so reductionist. And it is. it is misses the point, right? When we had Dan Trachtenberg on here, one of the things that he and I, we talked about it a lot on the recent episode that Dan was on. We talked at length about this idea of what if, could you make inventory management interesting? Isn't inventory management just boring right from the top? This game is inventory management and moving through space, moving overland from place to place. And somehow it makes those two things, from my perspective, my opinion, extremely compelling. This game is meditative and uh, serene and the decisions that I'm making in this game are unlike decisions I've made in any other kind of game. They are, in, in some games you have to make the decision of what to carry, what to keep in your inventory and what to drop. Uh, lots of games, Bethesda games, The Outer Worlds. You have a finite amount of inventory space. You pick something up. You can't carry everything. You got to make a decision. This game physicalizes that in a way that I've never seen before. You have a weight limit and you have uh, a, a bunch of different ways you can carry things on your back by stacking things precariously, in your hands by carrying them. And as the game progresses, lots of other things that you can gadgets that'll help you carry things and your whole job as a porter in this world is to move things from place to place in this post-apocalyptic america so you need to need to get stuff from one place 
to another. But the terrain between those two places invariably is littered with hazards, things that are very difficult. Just the mere act of fording a river, crossing a stream. It's Oregon is, Trail, bro. Oregon Trail, baby. <laughs> it's um, it is, is difficult. Just walking over land is hard because this land is post-apocalyptic. It's full of craters and rocks and shrubbery and things that are difficult to, to traverse on foot, let alone not on foot, which we'll get to shortly. But the, the mere idea of walking along is not easy. And you have added to that the difficulty of carrying all these materials that you want to carry with you to make your deliveries, these heavy things in these big containers. And so you have to figure out, it's a constant push and pull of how much do I take with me versus how difficult I make that experience. Because the more weight you have, the more precariously it is balanced and stacked on your back, the more problem you have balancing and moving over these terrains. So just walking over a, a rubbly surface or walking up a steep hill is going to be difficult if I'm carrying lots of weight and it is imbalanced or difficult and, and swaying back and forth. You literally get to this point where it's a little bit almost like a racing game where you're using the triggers to write your balance as you make turns. It's almost like a drifting or something in a racing game where you have to, you're walking, walking, walking. And as you make a turn, your back starts to sway to one side. And so you have to correct your balance and try to keep your balance as you walk. So the mere act of walking over the terrain has become gamified in a way that no other game I know of has done. Also, you recall in Breath of the Wild, the fact that Link can climb any surface, go anywhere, and is limited by his stamina meter. Similarly here, Sam Porter Bridges, the main character, has a stamina meter and is limited by that stamina meter, but stamina meter. But there are all kinds of other ancillary systems that work in concert with that stamina stamina meter. So you have all the weight that you're carrying. You have uh, the the need to to rest and do things sort of like Link, but also the kinds of terrain you're going over affect it. And instead of in Breath of the Wild, which again I think is a brilliant game. Basically, what you would have is ways to buff your stamina meter, right? To not lose stamina as quickly, et cetera, et cetera. And there are ways to do that in this game as well, in a sense. But much more interestingly, you, over the course of the game, get new things that allow you to just circumvent that stamina meter. You get a variety of gadgets. So if you think back to something like Metal Gear Solid Five, where every time you get a new gadget, it gives you a vastly different improvisational sense of the battlefield. So in Metal Gear Solid 5, now you have all these different options of subduing enemies or creating decoys or you know, looking at the same situation, the same outpost that you need to take down. You can do it myriad different ways because of all of the variety that the gadgets give you. Here, it's that, but for walking. <laughs> you eventually so another thing that i'll steal from dan trachtenberg is a concept he brought up on the totally rad show years ago that has stuck with me he talks about something having a game being the good suck so there's things in a game that suck things that totally suck but there are certain games that give you the good suck which is 
it sucks right now, but there's a reason for it. It's, it's sucking right now so that later when I'm able to transcend that thing that sucks, it feels so awesome. It's a good suck because it is, it is making you want to get better. It's making you want to overcome the thing that is so difficult. And I think Death Stranding is a good suck, the game. It is, it is all about creating situations that are tough, that, are, that, are, uh, that make you make tough decisions, that are uh, ruthless on you as far as what all the things you want to be able to do, you're only able to do a small percentage of them. Until you're not, until you can now get a thing where you're like, oh, 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 now I can, now I can do this. Now that, that limitation that was on me has been stripped away or reduced greatly. Oh, now that feels amazing. And now I have all these new options of the things that I can do. And that is, I think. That feels very Metroidvania to me. Well, in a way, except. It's not like there's a door that you can't go through and now you can. It is it is the things that you've been doing and the things you want to continue to do, you now have new ways to do them. You have new options on how to do that thing. In the same way that Metal Gear Solid 5 was, you still want to take down this outpost of bad guys. And before you had three different ways you could do that. Now you have 16 different ways you can do that. And it's a smorgasbord of, of, of what you want to do. Like, do you want to tie balloons to them and shoot them into the sky? Do you want to, you know, create a distraction and have them go over here? Do you, all these different things you can now do because you've got all these cool gadgets. And that's what the, the principle that this game works on as well. But, uh, but it does it in the context of moving from place to place. Now, I haven't even gotten to the coolest part, which is the thing that Kojima seems to have borrowed and improved upon from Dark Souls, which is in Dark Souls games, you wander in a new place and you see a cool symbol on the ground and you and you walk over to it and you see that it's a message from another player in another game who learned something or has a warning for you or a little joke or whatever. And you feel like, oh my gosh, there is this, this bit of connection that I have with another player in another place. They're not, we're not actually playing together, but we're all dealing with how difficult this is together. Death Stranding does that as well. There are messages that will enter your game from other players' games. You can, I mean, the whole, there's like so much to talk about with this game, guys. I can't even, I haven't even talked about all the systems, but basically the whole, the whole game is built on likes, which is kind of a goofy mechanic, I suppose, a goofy um, conceit from the game. But Everything has likes. You're rated on all of the deliveries that you make based on likes. And you can like other people's stuff that shows up in your world. So if somebody has a little message, you can add likes to it. And that benefits them in their game, which is all well and good. It's cool to get little messages. It's cool to see things. It's cool to have people help you like, oh, this trail is better over here, whatnot. But even better than that, you can affect your world. So... With Breath of the Wild, there's a sense of exploration that I really loved. There's this sense of being able to go anywhere and whatever, what's behind that, that what's, what's around that bend, what's over the top of that mountain. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find it. Oh, I can't get to that mountain yet? Well, I'll get stuff to inc- improve my stamina. I'll be able to climb to that mountain eventually. Very, very cool. This game 
is about plotting a course. It's about exploring the countryside, the wilderness, the vast untamed post-apocalypse. But, and, and it is about finding your way through that in a very sort of meditative way with awesome music that swells and this sort of just picking your steps, you know, this very methodical picking of steps through a place. It's about that as well. But you can also, there's also the temptation, the desire that the game instills in you to improve that world. You are actually able to drop items, to build things, to actually physically transform that world into a less difficult place to get through. You can build roads. You can build structures that help you. You can add things to your world that are permanent. When you lay a ladder down to ford a river, to walk across a a little stream, that ladder stays there forever. Even better, that ladder may show up in someone else's game. So I can walk through my world and all of a sudden, this thing that I found very difficult, some other player solved and that thing shows up in my world and I can reward them with likes, but it makes the entire world of Death Stranding feel dynamic and important. And it incentivizes me to spend time building stuff up and improving things and hauling materials from place to place in order to build the stuff and make the the world actually more traversable for both me and other people that I don't even know. This How do like, you know if your stuff ends up and you said it may show up in someone else's game. Is there a yeah, way that you can like you get likes from other people and the game notifies you when you get likes from other people. That's oh, so like, it just might not show up in your specific game, but you do something and it will, it ends up in someone else's instance or something like that. Yeah. Everybody's playing a solo game, right? But, but stuff you do in your world can percolate into the worlds of other players. Also, you, So you're bringing these items from place to place. You're picking up giant boxes, moving them to another location and delivering them to people. And oftentimes those deliveries are highly inconvenient and very difficult. So you don't always have to pick up boxes and bring them to their destination. You can bring them to a a destination, a location, and and then leave them for another player, some other place to pick them up and move them farther to the destination that they actually want to go to. So in another sense, I'm like, this is kind of like geocaching the game because it's all about going to a place, getting a thing, bringing it to somewhere else and leaving it for someone else. And actual other players are finding those things that you brought a little bit to their destination and completing that action for you. So there's this like kind of altruistic underbelly that's happening all the time about, doing positive things for other people that you'll never meet, which I kind of dig just in the, in the, in the, just the feeling of, of being in this world. And this game is really for me all about feeling. Now I should say, I should have said this at the beginning, but I will also say I have not finished this game. It's a very long game. I have about 20, over 20 hours on my current save. I think 22 hours is where I am on my save game. And I think this game is about 40 hours long. Wow. I've heard it's, from a couple of people I typically read and kind of trust, I've heard it's like it can be an excess of 50 and the last act is the worst. 
I have heard that too, which is why I'm bringing this up, is that I haven't gotten to the stuff that people complain about, which is, from what I understand, abandoning all of the things that I'm currently lauding right now. So I'm, 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 I'm talking about what is, I think, the most, the biggest section of the game, the, what the game mostly is. But from what I understand, it abandons a lot of that stuff late in the game. I haven't gotten to that, and it may sour my opinion a little bit on the game. If, so you're if, putting all these hours in for nothing, essentially? Well, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't gotten to that, so I don't know what it is. But my understanding is that the game stops being this big open world, uh, affect the world, create all this stuff, and it becomes this sort of linear story mission, kill the Mm. things. But that's another thing is like I played this game for six and a half hours before I was asked to kill anything. I did not kill anything for six and a half hours. And when I finally did kill something, it was a supernatural crazy thing. And I did it in a very specific mission, but most of this game is completely nonviolent. There are, there are enemies. Well, I don't know. Is that most of what you've experienced? Yes. Cause I've, yes. I've heard, I don't know if this is a plot spoiler, but I've heard the last act is the, is, is, kill, kill, is kill. very yeah. violent and, and handles That's what poorly. I've heard as well. And all of that management, item management becomes cumbersome and annoying. It's like, I'm man, aside from your enthusiasm, which I will admit is infectious, uh, <laughs> I feel like we might do a a dosey do on this because as I people have heard me on this show say, I you know trust Kojima. Uh, I've been a big fan of all of his games, uh, Peace Walker for life, um, even Acid. I'll, I'll get down with some Metal Gear Acid. Uh, this does. I, I think I'm going to be glad it exists, but I'm at 50 hours. Things that do you do something and it doesn't matter because you did it wrong or it's cumbersome or boring. Like I feel like so much of this game is maybe the uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 spoiler incoming, the radiated tube of MGS4 where it's like mashing no. this button sucks and I hate this, but I'm feeling it and that is cool. But knowing that I have 50 hours of this, like I don't know if I want to play it. <laughs> Here's the thing. You may very well not like this game. I think this game is going to be not liked by a lot of people. And like I said, I was blind to the idea that people would hate this until I saw all the reviews of people like, this is just fetch quests, yawn. I hate item management. This is this sucks. I was like, I really was like, this game is a breath of fresh air. It's incredibly bold and interesting. It's got ideas just bursting forth, forth from it. Uh, you know, we haven't even talked about the story yet, which we will in a second. But I, I really thought, oh my god, this thing, this is a very, very special game. It's very special. It's going to change. There's going to be cosplay all about the people stacking stuff on their backs. It's going to be awesome. There's, and it's going to have all these. I can't wait till somebody takes some of these systems and puts them in a different kind of game. Like I really do think this game could create a new genre as Kojima predicted. I also feel like all of the stuff in the game that is more like a traditional video game, more that is like bad guys chasing me. Uh, I, I, I get a gun at a certain point. It, it shoots non-lethal stuff. At least that's where I am. Um, and, you know, and even the, the supernatural bad guys, which you've seen a lot in the trailers uh, are this omnipresent threat. Anytime it rains, the bad guys might come out and then you have to do these super, you know, everything is very tense and you may get killed instantly. All of that stuff I could like throw out of the game. 
I, I'm so in love with just the idea of pure traversal as a mechanic. I would love there to be a, a version of Skyrim or whatever game where it works like this game. And I'm just moving through the landscape. I'm just picking my way across. Things are hard to get through. I need ladders and and I need uh, to repel down certain things. It's not like Lara Croft or... or um, uh, Uncharted, where I'm looking for the glowing handhold. And it's not even like Zelda, where I can climb anything. This is a game where you have to pick and choose your route because certain ways are just impossible to traverse. And other ways, I have to use crazy climbing and, and uh, attempting to you know, hook something onto the side of a mountain and repel down it. Or, uh, you know, I have to think, okay, well, I can put put down a couple of boxes here, climb up and maybe grab them in a different way or use all these different items that you get later in the game to help. It, it is, and the, the first time you get a vehicle in this game, it's like, oh my God, I've never felt so awesome just getting into a vehicle before in a game. It's like, I can drive now? This is incredible. It It is completely different experience than any other games. It makes the mundane special because of how much it's that good suck. It's like, it's been so hard picking my way through this environment. I've had such a difficult time just getting from place to place. Oh my God, you're giving me this new item that makes that easier. That's going to be incredible. And I can't wait to do it. And part of the reason that I haven't gotten to the the last quarter of the game, which people you know have complained about, and I may very well complain about too, but the reason I haven't gotten there, you talk about, oh, do I want 50 hours of this, Christian, is that I find myself doing tons of stuff that are non-essential because I'm just motivated to like, it feels awesome to make a road in this world. It feels awesome to build a bridge. It's not like other games that have base building and stuff where it's just like, Oh yeah, look how cool I made this thing. This is like something that literally will help me forever from now on. It's going to help me. I'm going to make, I'm going to like terraform this land into something that is easier for me to traverse and i've never really experienced that in a game before i mean i guess maybe minecraft has an element of that but this game makes that small incremental progress toward making the world more habitable feel so impactful and yes it's it's around this pure idea of walking from place to place or moving from place to place and moving heavy things from place to place, which at its most reductive is a kind of a boring idea. I did not find this game boring. I want, I looked forward to playing it. I was, I found the the sheer act of walking and discovering a new place, coming over a, a rise and seeing something in the distance. And then, you know, oh, that rise is kind of steep. I'm going to get some momentum on my way down, which is problematic because if I fall, I may dump all the cargo I'm carrying. That cargo gets damaged. I have to repair it. Tiny little, tiny little decisions, tiny little things that have a big impact that in most games you just take for granted. Like, yeah, I can just walk down here. No, in this game, you walk and oh my gosh, you're losing your balance and you got all this momentum. When you stop moving the, the stick, you don't just stop moving. Your guy has momentum. He's moving forward because he's carrying all this heavy stuff. It's just an interesting, it, it really makes me go, yes, everyone is right. Everyone has been right. Hideo Kojima is a brilliant designer 
And this is a this is a bold, brilliant, artistic work that I think moves the whole medium forward. It has it's a different expression of what video games can be than anything else out there. And for that, I find it fascinating and brilliant and absolutely a must play. Haley, do you think this will capture streamers like from what you've heard, the way like Demon Souls and Dark Souls and that kind of like exploration brutally difficult but kind of and sometimes slow and maybe boring but the reward is worth it do you think this is a game that can capture that or it will kind of you know disappear because the narrative is maybe such a big part of it i think it will capture a very specific niche of streamers i think there are some people who are like really into the fallout type games that will be all about death stranding just purely from from what you've said so far jeff um I don't think it will be for everyone. Um, it sounds something like I would really love, but um, it, it also sounds like it, you know, the fact that it takes 50 hours to play through in my head, I'm like, geez, that's, that's a lot of hours for me to to sit down and, and play through, even if it takes, you know, 10 days for me to do. It's a lot. Um, but a lot of people will find that to be worth it. So I think absolutely there's going to be um, there's going to be a lot of people I think who pick up the game, especially because the the hype and the confusion regarding it when it was announced at E3 a few years ago was so permanent and everybody was like, "What is this game?" Um, and in fact, I think I googled it uh, earlier because I was curious to see what the exact release date was. And it was like in Google, people also ask, first result is, is Death Stranding ever coming out? So people <laughs> definitely have, there's a lot of hype uh, surrounding it. I know it comes out next, uh, is it or later, later this week or next week? I think it's on this Friday, actually. Yeah, I think it's this Friday. Yeah. Um, so no, there's there's absolutely going to be people who are who get sucked into this for a long time. I cannot wait to see what the high skill players do with this game. I think this in a lot of ways, it's this weird tapestry that is going to allow for some cool improvisation and outside the box thinking of like, of how to, you know, how to, how to outthink it and, and do things in the, in the game world in the same way that breath of the wild was like that. You know, you saw these crazy YouTube videos of people using the systems in ways that, the developers never intended. I think that'll be the case with this game also. And like the idea of a, of a speed run through this game just sounds fascinating. Like, what is that even going to be? Because it's game is all about how long does it take? How long does it take? You get rated on all of your deliveries uh, in all these different factors. It's like there's systems and systems and systems. Oh, I should say one of my biggest complaints about this game, and it is a massive offender is that the text in this game is minuscule. It is so tiny, and I didn't see any option to improve and increase the text size. Yeah, it's uh, how games were meant to be played, Jeff. Now, how does it feel, huh? How does it feel now? <laughs> I don't think that's the same as inverting your controller, Christian. Come on. Oh, I'm sorry. What's the matter? Your eyes not great, Jeff? Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's how they were meant to be played? I literally exploded not too long ago. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't like that. Uh, the other thing, you know, just to briefly t- touch on the story. You know, it, it's it's goofy. And I think Kojima, I think Kojima would get much more benefit of the doubt if he just named things better. He's terrible at naming things. What do you mean, host? There's there's literally a character in this game whose name is Die Hard Man. <laughs> Die Hard Man. That's his name. That's everybody calls him Die Hard Man. I was like, really? 
Really? We're going to go to Die Hard? Is the other character's name Christmas movie? And the other character's name is (laughs) It's Not a Christmas Movie? (laughs) Yeah. And and another character named Fragile. It's... He's just bad. Like there's a there's the, you know the little baby that you carry with you through the game is literally called a BB. Like that's what we're calling it a BB. It's it just it's just bad naming. If he called things, you know, I just I don't think this story is more goofball than Halo's story. But Halo names things like the Flood and the Covenant and the Forerunners. You know, like that ah, that stuff sounds rad. Doesn't sound like Die Hard Man and BB. <laughs> you know, it's like. It's goof. The other thing about the story that's wild, and I mean, this could be a whole other episode of our show talking about this topic, which I find crazy and indicative of where the future is going, is there are famous people in this game, like Guillermo del Toro and Lin- uh, Lindsay Wagner, who only are in the game as their likeness. They didn't do any voice acting. So a different person voices them than them. Like, it looks like them, but they didn't do any of the voice acting. It, it, two people came together to make someone that looks like a real person. Just very odd to me. Uh, but that's a whole other topic. You know? Man, I want you to finish this game because I'm afraid I never will. Um, Are you going to get it? it? I mean, it's it's coming. I mean, it's on my game for IQ. Uh, so okay. It's it's coming my way. You at some might point. hate it. You may very well hate it. And I think a lot of people are going to hate it because ultimately at its core, it's a fetch quest game, as I've seen so many reviewers call it. I never even thought that. I was never like, oh, these are just fetch quests. This is, it's, that's the game. The game is moving stuff from place to place. It's not like, oh, I'm expecting other kinds of quests. It's like, if you can't find the joy in what this game is trying to convey, then you're not gonna. And, and I, I totally get that. But I think it, it, it misses the point to be like, oh, we're just doing fetch quests. It's like, no, this is a completely new way to express traversal in a game. And the traversal is the entire game. It's how do you get from place to place needing to bring what you need to bring? And what are the cool decisions about what to bring and what to leave behind? And and I've just never seen a game ask those kinds of questions in this way. And I found my, I found it very compelling and fresh. It felt like something totally new yeah so. i i i know more about the game but at the same time i don't i'm still i'm well, very I'm curious sure we'll be talking I'm about it next curious. week as well and i i do want to finish it but like i said i've been i've been distracted by like making cooler stuff and hauling things from place to place simply to make the world better it, it's 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 an interesting interesting experience all right well i've talked about that long enough um Let's wrap the show up. We got we've been we've ran long already, and and uh, man, it, what a great episode though! Uh, I love it. Thank you, thank you, Haley. That was it's been so great having you on the show. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. No, I, honestly, we've talked about so much. I mean, I I could nerd out for video games for hours, and quite quite literally, we did, and I loved it. So I appreciate wow. you guys having me. This was fun. Anytime you feel the need to nerd out again, you are always welcome back here. Thank uh, you. Yeah, but in the meantime, <laughs> tell people where they can keep up with you and all your goings on online. Yeah, you guys can find me pretty much everywhere. Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. At uh, Haley Nick. My name is spelled super weird. But uh, yeah, you guys can catch me live on Twitch and uh, all that good stuff. The mom life behind the scenes on social media. Good stuff. Awesome. Yes, I very much enjoy Haley's streaming. So if you get a chance to check it out, I think you will enjoy it as well. Uh, Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? 
I'm trying to think, man. I'm still kind of blurred out. I, uh, uh, full disclosure, BlizzCon and oldest daughter's birthday were this weekend. So I don't quite know what. <laughs> I know. I don't know I, what year it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I think Overwatch 2 is out. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Twitter's the best way to keep in touch at Spicer, um, especially like LA shows. Like I meant, like the Ice House, I did whatever it was, four shows last week. And. So the comedy store last week as well, but a lot of my LA shows are week of. So Twitter is always the best way at Spicer. And then this show, if you ever want to hang out and be live with us, um, I usually stream it at 7.15 PM Pacific on my Twitch, which is Christian Spicer. And uh, I'm not going to say I'm going to try to do more on Twitch because I've said it enough and I, <laughs> I never do <laughs> unless I'm fundraising. So uh, St. Jude will call and I'll do it again. But until then, <laughs> hang out for this show uh i think that's it jeff what about you well you can always follow me on twitter at jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t uh you can also email us here at the show anytime at dlcfeedback at gmail.com we love getting your feedback your reactions your recommendations any and all input is welcome there uh and i have several other shows for you to check out you can listen to me talk about movies and tv shows on the slash filmcast uh, we're doing um, we're doing the new Terminator movie this week, so check that out. You can find that at SlashFilmCast.com. And um, if you want to hear me weave a story, uh, part of the reason, part of the thing I loved about Death Stranding is that it is a a fresh sci-fi idea. I mean, talk about it's goofy, maybe, but it is different. It's at least unique. It's a a, a tale. It's not the same old thing. Uh, and I'm trying to do a little bit of a fresh take on Dungeons and Dragons as well. I've got my own story going on uh, on the Dungeon Run. I'm the DM of a live play Dungeons and Dragons show, which I'm very, very proud of. Uh, we have new episodes every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash the Dungeon Run. But you can also watch all of our episodes on YouTube by searching for the Dungeon Run or listening to it as an audio podcast, which I think is a great way to do it. It's, it's like an audio book. It's really fun. Uh, and you can find that wherever you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Haley, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Books. I am a huge bookworm outside of video games and uh, there are so many great books out there that I just kind of forgot about until recently that have just, I've, I've recently picked up writing again and, um, just getting an escape into a different world, whether it be my own writing or reading has always been a really great way to wrap up my day. So, uh, that's my parting gift. Pick up a good book and lose yourself in another world. Awesome. Yeah. And, and it is uh NaNoWriMo, right? Right. NaNoWriMo uh, a- national novel yeah. writing month. So I don't know if any of the listeners out there are participating. I myself am attempting, I haven't done it for many years. Well, not many years, but it's been like six years. Uh, so I'm nervous, but I'm attempting. We'll see. That's awesome. Well, good luck. And, and uh, you know, I, the thing I love about NaNoWriMo is that it isn't about making something that is, you know, perfect. It's, it's about making, it's just about doing it. It's yep. about getting up every day and doing something and, and moving forward. And I think that is, that kind of motivation is very useful for people and uh, I'm all in favor of it. So yeah. Awesome. I love it. Christian Spicer, do you have a parting gift? Yeah. I mean, if you're writing your novel, don't listen to mine. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
my parting gift is my uh, Blu-ray deluxe edition of Batman Beyond, the animated series, uh, mm-hmm. arrived. It came out uh, maybe last week, two weeks ago, the end of October. Batman Beyond is just a treasure uh, with all the different takes of of DC characters happening across their different portfolio and different versions of Batman and, and things like that. What they did, um, you know, coming off of Batman, the animated series, all of those years ago to take Batman and that Gotham city and, and all of that in a bold new direction with Terry McGinnis and Batman be gone and an old, um, cynical, but yet vulnerable Bruce Wayne. Um, and just not relying on any of the past, um, rogues gallery the way they could have just just a phenomenal work and i think if you haven't watched batman beyond it it holds up really really well um return of the joker revenge of the joker whatever that the feature film they did where the joker did come back is is phenomenal as well and great jumping in point um but i can't recommend it enough after not experiencing it for years and going back and revisiting that that catalog put off your novel you haven't written it yet you're not going to do it this month <laughs> go watch batman beyond instead how dare you i'm doing, I'm doing my novel eventually. <laughs> um, we got a listener suggested parting gift this comes to us from john he wrote in to dlcfeedback at gmail.com with a parting gift john says my parting gift is talk therapy my girlfriend had been encouraging me to go for a variety of reasons for a few years and i was incredibly stubborn about it i don't think I I didn't think I needed it. Didn't see how someone who hasn't lived in my shoes could tell me how to do it better, et cetera, et cetera. I finally gave it a shot. I've only been going to therapy for a few months now, and it has made a drastic difference in my life for the better. It isn't, as I assumed, someone preaching at me how to do my life better, but rather a person I can easily go unload my problems and stresses and resentments onto. Doing this with someone I am close to has the additional weight and risk of it turning into an argument or hurting someone's feelings. With my therapist, it is a very logical dissection of my issues without the risk. He simply offers a different perspective, talks through the problem with me, and gives me ideas on how to make a tweak in my actions or thinking to eliminate or soften the edges on a problem. I am more productive, happier, less resentful, and far from perfect, but getting better. There's a massive stigma with mental health, and when I tell people I'm going to therapy, I get the, oh no, how unbalanced is he and what is wrong with him look. If you are unhappy, stressed out, resentful, depressed, or have any suffering, it is absolutely worth the time and money. Think about what I put out into the world, and uh, (laughs) thinking about what I put out into the world and trying to make myself better so I can make the world a better place. John. Very, very cool. I've never heard anybody express it quite like that. And I think this is wonderful, a wonderful parting gift. Thank you for uh, sending it into our show. I think that's a, I think it's a wonderful uh, message that our listeners can take with them. I love it. I love therapy. Therapy's awesome. Go to therapy. Big plus one. Awesome. Very cool. Um, My parting gift is a movie uh, that we talked about on the, on the, um, on the slash film cast, but I haven't mentioned here yet. And it's called Parasite, and it is a foreign film, but it is getting much wider release because it's getting such good reviews. When I heard about, I don't listen, I don't watch trailers and stuff. So when I heard of a movie called Parasite, I thought, uh oh, big horror movie. It's going to be some kind of scary, you know, horror movie come out in October. Parasite, yeah, I'm not going to go see that. It is not a horror movie. I mean, it has got some thrillery stuff in it, but 
I would suggest if you have not heard of this movie, just go see it. Do not read anything about it. Do not look into anything about it. Do not listen to anything about it. Just go see Parasite if it's playing near you. It is a foreign film, so you'll be reading subtitles, but I guarantee you, you will still like it. Uh, it is probably going to be uh, unlike any movie you've ever seen. It, 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 it is a wild, wild ride. And I think all the better if you have no idea where it's headed, like I didn't. Uh, so if you've never seen a foreign film, go see Parasite. I think it's playing uh, um, nationwide now. Uh, and I encourage you to see it without knowing what it is, because I think you're going to dig it. So check that out. It's called Parasite. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Haley Nick and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us live and making the show better in real time. We appreciate you. Uh, Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. And thank you to you for listening. We appreciate you being here every week. And we will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.